This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. There are many Barbies. There's a Dr. Barbie, a lawyer Barbie, a President Barbie, and so on. Well, the Barbie we're talking about today is the Barbie that spoils the new Barbie movie. I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Stephen Thompson. In this spoiler-packed episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we are talking about Barbie. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. Support for NPR and the following message come from the Wallace Foundation, working to develop and share practices that can improve learning and enrichment for young people and the vitality of the arts for everyone. Ideas and information at wallacefoundation.org. Here with This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. With us today is our fellow co-host, Aisha Harris. Hey, Aisha. The patriarchy. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about the patriarchy. <laughs> also with us is film critic and culture journalist, Badatri D. Chaudhry. Welcome back, Badatri. Thank you so much. And if you hear me heavy breathing, it's the sigh of relief because I can talk with spoilers now. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we can be our truest selves. So in Friday's episode, we gave our spoiler-free thoughts on the new and very hotly anticipated Barbie movie, which is directed and co-written by Greta Gerwig. Long story short, we enjoyed the heck out of it, albeit with some reservations. We adored the way it looked, and we greatly enjoyed the performances, especially those of Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, who play Barbie and Ken. But we really couldn't discuss some of the weirder plot twists, some of the gags that stood out, and at least one perfect perfectly selected song, so we figured we'd give Barbie the spoiler special it deserves. So the marketing materials for the Barbie movie reveal that the central conflict arises when the most stereotypically blonde and perky Barbie, played by Margot Robbie, finds herself facing an existential crisis. She lives in her dream house in Barbie land, but she thinks about death. Her heels suddenly touch the ground. She finds the first traces of cellulite. She even sheds tears. Soon, for various reasons, she heads off in search of her human owner, taking a journey from Barbie land to Los Angeles. She is joined along the way by Ryan Gosling's Ken. When Barbie and Ken arrive in the human world, they find a very different society than the Barbie-centric one they're used to. So 
I guess the place I'd like to start is there, specifically in the depiction of Ken. It is a running gag in Barbie that Ken himself is a blank slate and an add-on. He doesn't have much of a backstory of his own. His job, as the movie points out to great comedic effect, is, and I quote, beach. So when he and Barbie travel to the human world, he gets his first ever glimpse of the patriarchy and he likes what he sees. This leads us to his hostile takeover of Barbie land. So let's start there and talk about what the heck is going on with Ken, our weird washboard ab <laughs> incel king. Badatri, kick us off with your thoughts. I mean, what can I say? He really loves horses. Can you blame him? <laughs> but I mean... He's actually such, you know, in modern day parlance, such a soft boy. Like, you know, he just wants to be loved. And which is why he's like doing all these very disgusting and wrong things. And again, like, you know, we we talked about how we feel complicated in our feelings about this film. And I, I wonder, it's very fun. And Ryan Gosling has said in an interview that he was born to play Ken. And I agree 100%. Yes. Uh, but again, like what part of his narrative arc is the film actually glorifying? Definitely not the incel king part of it. That part is like so ridiculed that it's funny. But again, in the end of it, you know, what I liked was most films have the women going on this journey of self-discovery but here it's like you know Ken needs to go on that which is somewhat appreciated but then I'm also like where is the retribution for all this havoc and really bad things that he brought into this very pink very plastic beautiful world yeah you know I agree with Badatri I think it's very funny and I definitely think the portrayal of Ken and really all the Kens when they go into this, we are going to be in charge now. Because, you know, at the beginning of the movie, you really see that they live in service to all the Barbies, essentially. And when Ken goes and discovers what it's like for men to be in charge of everything, he says, well, this is great. And he comes back and he imports it. I do think the portrayal of how those guys act when they really sort of allow themselves to wallow in their dudeosity is extremely funny. Mm-hmm. This maybe is where we can talk about the fact that at one point they all serenade their Barbies with Matchbox 20's Push. A great song. <laughs> a great song. I love this song. They play the guitar at them. Yeah, yes, they play is... the guitar at them, as they say. That definitely got me howling. You know, it's a very sweet portrayal by Gosling. Like, sweet dummy is kind of a, a classic funny way that guys like this can sometimes act. James Marsden has done similar things. But I do wonder, like, these guys get pretty hateful in the sense that they kind of want to take everything away and run the government and kick these Barbies out of their houses. He just hasn't come to terms with the fact that Barbie doesn't love him. And if she patiently explains to him that she doesn't love him, then he sort of comes around and he's like, okay. And, you know, I have a, a certain unease about whether that's really what guys who act like this actually need. Is it that they're sad and they need a journey of self-discovery? You know, the ultimate answer turns out to be like, distract them long enough to vote. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you think about it too hard, it's very unsatisfying. But... If you don't think about it too hard, it's actually very funny and there are some really fun jokes. I admire Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach for throwing in a joke about the Snyder Cut. Like, (laughs) you're definitely poking the bear. I mean, look, can I posit a theory that perhaps part of the, I don't know if it's the problem with the movie or just something that I found 
little weird to think about it is the fact that Ken is kind of a slightly more interesting character than Barbie in this movie, perhaps mm. unintentionally so. Yes, obviously the whole joke is that he's, you know, inconsequential, basically. Even if Ken's arc at the end feels a little bit old-fashioned and kind of basic in a way, I do think that he still has a little bit more to play with as a character because his whole deal is just like patriarchy. And then Barbie's whole deal is way more complicated because she has to deal with Mattel and this idea of what she's supposed to be versus what mm. she actually has been received as. And the whole Mattel thing is very like, oh, these are my corporate overlords and I'm going to poke fun mm. at them, but I'm not going to poke too hard or enough that like they're not going to approve of this. Whereas Ken is just patriarchy. And that's something you can more easily mm -hmm. rib. The fact that he gets an entire dream ballet... <laughs> <laughs> the Dream Ballet, which is very Bob Fosse, Gene Kelly, I should set up. So towards the end of the film, all the Kens have turned on each other because all the Barbies have pitted them against each other. And so there's this whole beach battle scene where different Kens are going after different Kens. It's very funny. And then like that scene turns into, within it, a Dream Ballet sequence where all the Kens are dancing together. And Ryan Gosling's Ken is singing about being, I'm just Ken. <laughs> and to me, like, not that Barbie doesn't have her own moments, but a whole dream ballet is a very, in any sort of musical <laughs> or movie, it's supposed to be the heart of the movie. It's like mm -hmm. the moment where everything kind of changes and you see this sort of shift from the first part of the show or the movie to the last part. And so I don't know. Do we think that his arc was a little bit more interesting? I do. The effect that I had wasn't necessarily thinking that Ken was more interesting, but thinking that Ken, they do more weird stuff with Ken and are, I think, a little bit more experimental in the way they present Ken right. in a way that does give you some higher highs. But I do think that Ken also is the factor that causes this movie to drag the most yes. when it drags. Mm. Now, I'm not necessarily the first person who's like, yes, there's a dream ballet. <laughs> um, but like the dream ballet for me was like, get back to the movie. This is weird. Get back to the movie. You know what? Every dream ballet in every movie ever has been that for some people. Yeah, yeah no, it's true. It's there true. are people where, like, that's the singing in the rain they want to get out yeah. of the dream ballet. Yeah. There are people where in Oklahoma they want to get out of the dream ballet. Yeah, very common. There are people who are like, I stopped watching American in Paris before the super famous part. You know? <laughs> Gosling gets to play a broader and more comedic kind of sympathetic character, Robbie is playing a more poignant sympathetic character. Mm -hmm. And I was really wondering where they were going to leave her. Was she going to become like self-aware Barbie? And then when was she ever going to be able to be happy? And because when you get to the end of the film, she really winds up concluding, I don't want this life as perfect Barbie, which, mm. you know, might seem predictable in a way because, you know, the person's always going to, I want to be a real boy or whatever. But sure. the toys in Toy Story live happily as toys. There's not necessarily a guarantee you can't live happily as a toy. But I think the decision that they ultimately have her make about kind of, I want to try out the life of a human and heaven knows that's been done. But I think that... She really acts the heck out of the end of this movie, I think, despite yeah, yeah. the fact that this is these are beats I've seen before. There is a mm. moment fairly deep into this movie where she has discovered 
malaise, really. She's kind of discovered <sighs> sadness. And it's almost like her discovery of sadness really foundationally changes who she is. And there is a moment where I think Margot Robbie snaps out of the pink Barbie-ness. And you really suddenly feel like you are seeing this terrific actor play a really sensitive scene where she's playing a person. And it's mm. almost like Barbie discovers less that she wants to be a person and more that she has become a person and has to now deal with the outcomes of being a person. Yeah. A couple of those scenes with Robbie kind of in the weird Barbie house with Kate McKinnon. Mm. God bless Kate McKinnon, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, yes. I could watch Kate McKinnon do essentially this performance in 400 movies and yes. be totally happy. Yeah, she can keep doing splits all her life and I'll be very happy. She's yeah. wonderful in this. Yeah. Some of those scenes where Barbie is kind of going through that crisis in the weird Barbie house with the other Barbies and with the America Ferrera character and her daughter. I actually think a bunch of that is quite moving. So counterpoint to my last point. <laughs> Aisha versus Aisha. <laughs> so what if Barbie is like the sly critique of white cis hetero progressivism in a post Black Lives Matter, post Me Too, post Love is Love world? In this essay, I will. No. <laughs> so to your point, Linda, I think one of the things that I sort of picked up on is that there are moments, especially those scenes with Kate McKinnon, where... Barbie has this moment where she's talking about, oh, I'm stereotypical Barbie. I'm the first thing that you think of like when you think of Barbie. And to me, that was kind of a really interesting point because it kind of goes counter to what the movie is trying to promote in a way, mm. which is that everyone can be Barbie, <laughs> regardless of their size, regardless of their race, whatever. But then you have stereotypical Barbie. The movie is focused on stereotypical Barbie and it's kind of calling out, yeah, we have all these things, but I'm still the main Barbie. There's also a moment where she has, a, <laughs> she has an option Weird Barbie, played by Kate McKinnon, gives her two options to like oh, go and okay. decide what she's going to do. <laughs> she's going to go to the real world and like confront her feelings. And she's holding up, you know, Birkenstocks. And then the other one is a heel. <laughs> and Margaret Robbie's like, no, I don't I don't want to. I don't want to know. I want to be kind of oblivious to all of this. And I saw it as sort of a sly critique of, you know, mm. kind of this. I think that's definitely there. Yeah, which is like that she has been perfect. She has been the stereotype. But now she's realizing that actually I maybe want to do something with my life and not rest on these feelings. So I don't know. I, As much as I said earlier, Ken maybe is the more interesting one. I do think that her journey and her arc, while also kind of basic, does still have an undertone of a little bit of subversiveness that I think you have to like look more closely to find. It's not quite as obvious, but I think it's there. I'm just going to push back on your... I, I want to see that essay, Aisha, first. <laughs> yes. But... This film is so binary. It's 2023 and it's so pink and blue in terms of like everything, in terms of the marketing around it. Again, the blue of Oppenheimer and the pink of Barbie. It's like, you know, everything around it is so based on the gender binary and it does not move. That's always there. Boys do this, girls do this. And that made me a little uncomfortable. So I will... Chill on that a little bit. But again, to your point, Aisha, like, you know, this film does and many people will see the faults in it and many people will see the prizes in it. But it does diversity exactly the way Mattel does diversity. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, yeah. except for the fact that may I say there is a wonderful plus size actress in this movie named Sharon Rooney, who people may know from My Mad Fat Diary and other things, who plays one of the Barbies and they have made 
the Barbie body types moderately more inclusive, but I do not think that they have made them that inclusive. So that kind of irritated me a little bit. That is not reality. And I wish it were. I agree with you. And then again, like, and this is both the frustration and the delight of this film. It makes you feel like it's constantly criticizing itself, but you as a viewer want more of it. But then they cut you short and be like, no, this is it. Even the, you know, the Mattel CEO says this, oh, this will sell. Let's do this. Mm. And that's exactly how, you know, the enterprise has looked at diversity. Well, the other thing I will say is that the fact that at the end, Barbie talks to Cannon, now he's okay with not being she, she's honest with him I guess she's no longer quote unquote stringing him along which in itself is like really this is okay it's right on the line yeah it's right on the line but then it's like okay none of these Barbies seem interested in the Ken so can we like yeah. maybe push this a little bit further and say maybe actually they're not into men at all like yeah exactly <laughs> you know yeah. or like if you're a doctor or if you're a president if you're a lawyer if you're all these things I'd like to see you be a doctor and not just and and that's the problem with the doll, right? Well, the doctor does fix Ken after he <laughs> wipes out on the beach. <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> but your point is yes, yes, it makes sense. Yeah. We are kind of brushing up against an interesting point about this movie and about what this movie could have been had they opted to go this way and ha- opted to be a little less binary. When I mentioned that we were going to record a spoiler special to my partner Katie, who is very excited about this film and hasn't yet seen it, she was like Please tell me Barbie is queer. Please tell me they explore that. Sorry, Katie. Yeah. And they really don't. <laughs> no. Yeah. They really oh. don't. And oh, and for, cool. I think, as much queer buy-in as there is to this movie going into it, there's a lot of unexplored territory. And obviously, the odds of a sequel are not zero. <laughs> there's a lot more terrain left to explore, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I took away from this is that the relationship that is kind of posited by Mattel between the Kens and the Barbies is that the Kens are the Barbies' boyfriends. And I think what the Barbies are kind of saying is that they're not really concerned about their romantic lives at all. Mm -hmm. And I think, as Aisha said, I think it's sort of like they're not into the Kens at all. They're not into men at all. They're not into each other at all romantically. And I think... One of the things that the film is sort of positing is like maybe the romantic part of it really only works, you know, if you buy a Barbie and you have a Barbie and you play with a Barbie, maybe it really does only work if you think of Ken as kind of an unnecessary (laughs) add-on or like an outfit. Like Ken is the equivalent of an outfit. Today I want to play with Barbie dressed up like an Olympic ice skater. Shout out to the Barbie that I had. And... Tomorrow I want to play with Barbie with a camper van and a boyfriend. (laughs) And it's sort of like the Barbies are interested in themselves and their own Mm. lives as Barbies. The Kens are accessories. They are. And at the end, Mm -hmm. they're going back to living as accessories. And I do want to say, I think the other really charming performance that I think we haven't talked about at all is Michael Sarah as Alan, who was a real doll, who was kind of Ken's friend. And they show a bunch of the Barbies at the end of the movie. They Mm. show a bunch of what I think are all real Barbies and real Barbie marketing Mm. at the end of the movie. And the stuff for Alan basically says he fits into all Ken's clothes, which I think is the funniest (laughs) little thing. Like, buy this doll. He could wear the other doll's clothes. And I did enjoy all the little shout outs to various different Barbie iterations that have been 
discontinued, including the magic earring Ken. Speaking yes. of <laughs> speaking of kind of queer text and subtext, magic earring Ken and sugar daddy Ken. Sugar, sugar daddy, daddy yes. Plus the one I was really going into this thinking. I hope they talk about the skipper doll where when you put her arm over her head, her bust grows. And they did, and that was a they real did. doll, and I remember yeah. that marketing. My soul was crying out for a Rosie O'Donnell cameo because I, there is a Rosie O'Donnell Barbie in the late 90s, oh, but they, they, wow. they did pass on the opportunity to include Rosie for whatever reason. I'm glad you mentioned Michael Sarah as Alan because one thing that I really took away from this film that I don't usually take away from live-action movies is, boy, you really could do a series of very funny, very wonderful Pixar style shorts Mm. with some of the ancillary characters in this film, the way they do with Pixar movies. You could do a seven minute Alan episode, like a freestanding short film, and I would watch the absolute hell out of it. And it's one of the benefits that you get from this movie being as wonderfully well cast as it is. There are so many funny ancillary characters, in many cases played by very, very big name, talented people that I wanted to see more of that don't necessarily need more airtime in Barbie, but that I would love to see little short films of. No, I would like to see four hours of the Ken movie starring Kingsley Benadier, not seven minutes. Kingsley Benadier, who plays Malcolm X in One Night in Miami and is so good in it, is just like one of the Kens here. Didn't he also play Obama? Yeah. And he's also about to play Bob Marley. So he's basically played all the iconic figures of the 20th century. (laughs) And Ken. Yes. And Ken, yeah. He's our cultural forefather, yes. <laughs> yes. And also what I love about Ellen is, and which is where I thought Greta Gerwig was being Greta Gerwig, is that nuance in friendship, in allyship, that like, I have your back no matter what happens, Francis, have friendship. And I saw a peak of that in Alan, and I really, I mean, he's really one of my favorite characters. Love Alan. Justice for Alan. Alan. <laughs> I think he's super funny in this, absolutely in the pocket in terms of a Michael Sarah performance. The weird thing about this movie is that, yes, it's a toy movie. Yes, it's a Mattel movie. Yes, it's been so heavily marketed that you honestly feel like your postal carrier is going to come to the door in an all pink uniform and be like, here to deliver the Barbie mail, because it just doesn't feel like you can get away from it. But if that weren't true, this is a live action comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, more than anything else, this is a live action comedy with this kind of sweet ending. I do really like the ending where she meets up with Rhea Perlman playing <laughs> the inventor of the Barbie doll. Oh. I like how that plays out. I think it's really sweet. I really like the montage at the end where she kind of is introduced to how life really works. It all comes down, I think, to how you feel about the moment when Margot Robbie as Barbie is talking about how you feel like you're not pretty enough. And Helen Mirren, as the narrator, comes (laughs) on and says a note to the filmmakers, Margot Robbie is not the person to cast if you want to make this point. And it is the movie doing a thing and also Mm -hmm. like hanging a sign on the thing that they're doing, saying that they're doing it. And it is like, Mm -hmm. is that better? I don't know if it's better. I laughed. You know what that scene is? That scene is Wayne and Garth uh, talking about product placements and holding up a bag of Doritos in Wayne's World. (laughs) I didn't mind that. I laughed. (laughs) Oh, I did too. I did too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you're right. Your mileage may vary about that. To me, that was one of the less egregious 
like signposting while patting yourself on the back yeah. for calling yeah, something out. But, I agree yeah. with Aisha. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think we're going to leave it there. Are you sure? I could go on. <laughs> <laughs> I could too. I wanna push you around. <laughs> Yes, shout out to Ryan Gosling's Matchbox 20 impression, which is very good. He's got a great voice. He does. I wanted to stand up and applaud. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) We want to know what you think about Barbie. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Linda Holmes, Aisha Harris, Badatri D. Chaudhry, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This episode was produced by Mike Katzoff and Anna Isaacs and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. I'm Stephen Thompson, and we will see you all later this week. I wanna push you around when I will, when I will. <laughs> sorry, sorry. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash NPR. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org slash elections.